Well, this is it. The last Sunday of 2020. Huh? We made it. I really thought there'd be more of a round of applause for that. Aren't you guys happy? We made it. <laughs> like, we have, we have literally been through the toughest year that a lot of us can remember, if not all of us. What a year. What a year it's been. I'm a really sentimental person. Um, even sometimes verging on corny, how sentimental I am. And so every year I have a corny tradition with my, my family members. I'll walk them through a series of birthday questions, and they endure it. Um, but I'll, I, wanted to, I wanted to go through a few of those questions with us just, just to talk about that uh, this morning. My birthday questions have to do about usually with the big thing. Uh, what was the big thing that you thought, if you were standing back at your last birthday, what did you think was going to be the big thing that was going to happen this last year? And then what was actually the big thing? And then, after they answer that, what, what is, what's the biggest thing that you think will happen this coming year? I usually think of years in those terms, like, oh, that was the year we got married, or that was the year that Charlotte was born. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to boil the year down to one big thing, but to think about the most significant thing that happened, or what you're looking forward to most about this next year of life. And then, I ask usually, if there was one day that you could take and either redo it to fix something you did wrong, or relive it because it was just so awesome, what day is that, and why would you, what would you redo or relive? And those usually get people thinking about the big things that happened this last year. And almost overwhelmingly, in years past, those have been incredibly optimistic answers. Like, oh, that day was so great. I, I wouldn't change a thing. I would just go back and relive that. It was just so amazing to be there with all those people in that circumstance and enjoy that. I would definitely relive that. Or man, I thought this big thing was going to happen, but this even bigger and better thing happened in my life. That was definitely the most significant thing. Um, and I'm really looking forward to this next thing. Almost always, that has not been the case in 2020. Almost at all. Almost without fail, as those questions get asked, most people were like, yeah, I thought this thing was going to happen this year, but then, you know, 2020... And this other terrible thing happened. Uh, I was actually asking a friend of mine these questions uh, for his 52nd birthday. And he, he was weighing through some of the things that had happened this last year. He's like, what was the biggest thing that happened? Well, he said, my daughter's car blew up without expecting. Thankfully, no one was in it. That was pretty big. Or I fell off a roof and broke my back. Uh, or there was coronavirus, but I'd say the most big thing that happened was that my nephew got shot and murdered. Um, and it was like, whoa, it's been a really heavy year. Or there's another friend I've been talking to a lot this year who lost both of his grandfathers, who he was very close with, and then he was a contractor up in Michigan, so he lost months of work and was really struggling. And his wife and him had been trying for a year and a half to have a child and they finally got pregnant and then shortly after they lost the baby. Ah, I just can't imagine what a haymaker of a year it's been for him. And the more people I've talked to, it's almost like everybody's experienced that kind of a year where it's like we've got COVID-19 but on top of that we've had 
so many other things that have really just nailed us this year. And it, that attitude of like, I, tr- I genuinely applaud the end of 2020, but that attitude of looking back to 2020 and just being like, thank goodness that is over. Let's move on with the rest of our lives. Let's get this done. Let's, let's forget about the things that happened this year. This year was one for the garbage can. Um, while there's been a lot of intensely hard things that have happened this year, I do not want us to lose sight of the fact that the Lord has really, really used this year for his glory. And so as we remember this year, because I'm certain that and as hard as you may try, this is going to be a year for the memory books. That everyone will remember what happened this year in a unique way that I'd like to instruct our hearts this morning to look back with gratitude, with thankfulness, and with recognition of God's faithfulness. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. I thought that'd be a good passage to talk through this in. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 24. So this is a standalone sermon, so I, I did some study in the book of 1 Thessalonians just to make sure I'm understanding the book rightly as I preach from this final passage. Uh, this is a book that's corporately written between uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy for the church in uh, Thessalonica. Uh, this was a strong church. Paul even talks about this church being so strong and brotherly love towards one another that other churches in the region were looking at it and there was believers coming to know Christ because of their brotherly love for one another. It was a very strong church. Um, it was a church that had endured hardship, a lot of hardship, like right from the get-go. If you look at Acts 17, when their church is being founded, we see some of the leaders of their church being dragged out into the streets, Jason, and being accused of, of, um, creating, of, of rebelling against Caesar. So, I mean, it's a church that had gone through a lot of hardship. There's a couple of major issues that Paul addresses in uh, 1 Thessalonians. The most prominent and notable is the fact that there was this attitude between those who had lost loved ones that there was, they, had, they believed that the return of Jesus was so imminent and so clear when believers would die and Jesus hadn't come back, they thought, oh no, they missed it. Oh, and there was this huge mourning that they were eternally gone because they had missed the return of Christ. So they were expecting Christ not to come back, you know, decades in the future. They were thinking years, days. They were, they were thinking it's real close. And that no one in our, who believes in Jesus should perish before Christ returns. And if you can imagine them having this intensely strong awaiting this imminence of Christ's return, that would probably not only seep into how they saw death, but and how they saw life. It would probably show up in a lot more ways than just that. So Paul, Paul also addresses one of the other big adre- uh, points of the book of 1 Thessalonians is that he's telling them to live like their life matters. Live like church matters. Continue to grow in that. Live like your work matters. Live, live in, uh, uh, in light that, that God is using, and like it says at the end of chapter 3, he's using all these things to establish your hearts in holiness before the coming of Christ. That there's a point to, to all this living. You can imagine, you've seen all the sitcoms or whatnot, where 
where people know that the end of the world is coming soon. So they start writing checks they can't cash or doing crazy things. Why go into the office today? The world's ending tomorrow. What, am I, what are we going to do today? Stopping living like the normal things of life had any meaning at all and living these lives of, of hedonism or whatever it might be. But that attitude, you can imagine, if you thought Christ was coming so soon that it was just around the corner, why would you live like the normal things in life matter. And I think that was kind of what Paul, I'm guessing, that's why Paul and Silas and Timothy wrote, wrote them to continue to live like those things mattered. Now, 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 is that the reason? I'm not 100% sure, but I think that we, we see this long list of application given at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, where we'll be in today. And I think that we can take that application and certainly say that there's instruction for those of us who are waiting for Christ's return to live like he is coming back. Because like I said, 2020 has been a year that many of us, it's been so hard that it's something we would like to forget. But we cannot live that way. We cannot live like this is just going to be a a pointless year to forget. We, we have to live in light of the fact that God was in control and using every aspect of this last year for his glory, for his good, for his purposes, to prepare us for his return. And we cannot live hopelessly or like that it was pointless. So turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 24, and I'm going to read it. It says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. As you read through that passage, you might know there's a lot of imperatives or to-dos from 1 Thessalonians 5, from that passage we just read. I'll, I'll rattle them off for you. Respect those who labor among you. Be at peace among yourselves. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil. Do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every kind of evil. That's a lot of imperatives, and I'm not going to be able to touch on every one of them individually today. But I want to, I want to categorize those two, uh, them under two headings. First heading, live like Jesus is preparing us for his return. You can write that down if you're taking notes. Live like Jesus is preparing us for his return. Secondly, live in hope of his return. 
Those are the two main categories. I want to I shuffle all of those imperatives under this morning. First of all, live like Jesus is preparing us for his return. Now, there's a, with all of these different imperatives, a lot of them can be categorized under a couple different headings uh, of groups that we're being given instruction towards, like the church. There's a lot of instructions towards how we interact with one another in the church. Right out of the gate, we see an interaction like that, or an instruction like that, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Now, Paul is not giving them this instruction, again, because they're weak at these things. He's actually gone on in this letter about how they are awesome at loving one another, how they have this incredible value for the church, that it's exemplary, that other people are coming to know Christ because of the, the way they use their relationships in the church. So it's not like they're bad at this, but Paul is saying to continue to have this perspective that it's important and we need to continue to grow in it as we're being prepared for that final day. And the first instruction he gives to the church is to, admon- to, um, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. As someone who's on staff here, I'm the student ministries director for those of you who don't know. Uh, uh, I, I have the privilege of seeing how our pastors and uh, and even us on staff are really treated with gratitude and appreciation and love and i want to i want to say thank you to you all because i really think you all are exemplary in the way that you love and appreciate those who serve among you i week in week out while many other pastors are receiving slander and are receiving critique and complaining, we receive a healthy diet of encouragement. However, just as the, first, the church in Thess- Thessalonica was exemplary in this way, and Paul still encourages them to grow in several ways, I, I want to encourage you to continue to grow in appreciation. And I, especially in light of this last year. I, again, having the opportunity to sit at the table with our pastors, with with Mark and with Larry and with Tom and Rod and to see how they have tirelessly sought to serve you all in light of what's going on. I mean, hundreds of hours spent talking about how we should meet as a church, how we can continue to value that and to continue to do it safely and to protect those who are in our congregation, how to encourage people from the word on a day-to-day basis, how there's people who have disagreed and these pastors have sought to reach out to those people who have felt differently and to listen to them on not just one meeting but several meetings over and over again, trying to encourage them and to listen to them at the same time. These men have worked tirelessly in an entirely different way this year than they probably have ever expected to ever have needed to work. No one has a gone into ministry expecting to have to navigate the ins and outs of mask wearing and social distancing and what happens when your congregation believes differently uh, amongst themselves in in regards to those things. But the men who have led you this year have done that and have done it with excellence and have sought to really honor the Lord in how they've done that. So I would like to just take a moment to honor them and to honor God 
for giving them to us. Would you guys stand up? I see Larry and, uh, and Mark here. If you, any of the pastors in the room, uh, would you guys just stand up? I'd like to go, just give you guys a round of applause. Thank you. I know they don't do it for the applause, but the most significant thing I have to give thanks for in 2020 is that we met again as a church. You know, that was really, really difficult those years, or those months when we were not gathering together. And it made me value this church all the more. And I am so thankful for the way that you guys have been dedicated to that. Thank you. That's blessed my family. And I know it's blessed countless other families here. Thank you for leading us so well. We're also called to live at peace with one another. And to recognize too, as it talks about in 1 Corinthians, we've been going through 1 Corinthians and the youth, so all my mind is there. Um, how, how Paul in 1 Corinthians calls us, the church, is the, the temple of the Holy Spirit because in each and every one of us as believers, that's where the Holy Spirit dwells. So the Holy Spirit's among us. So the way we relate to each, one another, the way we love one another, it has incredible implications on how God is working in, in each and uh, every one of our lives. So we should seek to continually tr- grow t- to be more of the same mind and the same heart and to, to agree on everything and not, to have no disagreement at all. And so this attitude of coming together and ha- being at peace with one another is an attitude of continuing to value the church and recognize that if God is working on you anywhere, it's most likely going to happen and most potently going to happen in the church because that's where his presence, that's where his spirit dwells in, in our church. So be at peace with one another. We see um, this attitude of seeking God's activity among us as well. That famous line, pray without ceasing, that, that strong hyperbole that, uh, that should be such a, such a conviction in our lives that we should be continually praying. Prayer is that attitude of dependence, that we need God to constantly be working in our lives in every moment of it. It's knowing that I can't go a normal day at all in any moment of any day without God's continual activity guiding me, especially if I'm expecting him to be preparing me to be holy, like it says, holy and blameless. That's what it says in verse 23, to be sanctified completely. My whole spirit, my whole soul, my whole body all of us together to be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I expect God to really do that, man, I need his intervention in every second of the day. He can't waste any time working on me because I need a lot. And we, our church and our body needs a lot. And we need God's continual intervention to continue to be working on us. So we, we should have this attitude as we look forward to Jesus coming and we recognize that he's using this church in every moment of our lives. We should, we should pray without ceasing in dependence, seeking to see his work. And speaking of seeking to see his work and see, see his activity among us, notice verses 19 and 20. It says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. We should not only be seeking to depend on God and to give ourselves independence to him, but we should expect him to be meeting with us and using this. That as he's gifting our congregation, that he is going to be speaking and leading. Every week you do that. Every week, even now, as I'm teaching, you are expecting God to be speaking to us as a congregation. We're expecting him to meet us week in and week out. And not just through the preaching of the word, but through you as individuals, as he works in your lives, as he speaks to you from his word, as he gives you 
as he gives you um, gifts to serve and love one another. And everything we do in those regards, every, every gift we receive should be tested against his word, should it not? We should ex- be expecting him to work in all of these ways. And that's why, that's why we, we take advantage of this ministry, Mike. Expecting God to continue to speak in more ways than just one as we gather together. But as God does speak, we should be holding fast to the things that are good and abstaining from every form of evil. And how do we do that? We test it against His Word. Because we know this is true and this is sure and this is not going anywhere. This is unshakable and true. How do we test everything that is good? We, we hold fast to the promises in this Word. So as you're expecting God to be working in your day-to-day lives, you should be really holding fast to His Word so that you can test his voice as he's continually speaking and working in our lives as a church. And if, if you see God use a gift that is in line with this word, you should hold fast to those things and take them as encouragement that God is continuing to work among our church. But everything should be tested. So if something is given that's wrong, and evil even, we abstain from that thing. Get rid of it. Throw it away. But the only way we know that is to continue to test things against his word. We should expect him to continue to speak and to, we should prepare our hearts for him to continue to speak by holding fast to what we find in his word. So not only in the sacred realm of church are we, that, there's, that his activity is encouraged or there, that Paul is encouraging to recognize his activity, God's activity in all of their lives and even their daily work. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, Paul gives instructions to, to the Thessalonians to aspire to live quietly, to mind their own affairs, and to work with their hands so they can walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. To just live a simple life. I can imagine if you're feeling like the world is ending soon, that work, the office, can seem like the most pointless and mundane thing in the world. It can seem like the least eternal thing you could focus on. But in your day-to-day lives, at your work and everything that you do, God is using every little detail of it. Like Larry was talking about last week. It's not like there's some things that are preparing you for Jesus' return and some things that are not. It's that we are on one line and one course of time. And that even things that might seem either mundane or, or just evil and, and hard and things that would make us question, how is God going to use these things? Like, I've heard a common sentiment of, from many people this year, uh, this attitude that, that I want to forget about it, or it's been so hard, I, I, want to, I want to put it behind me, not looking and thinking that in every little bit of those moments, in the hard things, in the mundane things, in the spiritual things, every bit of it, we've been being prepared for his return. So in, in everything, even in work, in humble, quiet work, working with your hands, that we're supposed to be viewing that as God preparing us for his return. So, if you see people not valuing that, not value, if you see your brothers and sisters in Christ not valuing their work on a day-to-day basis, the normal mundane things in life, you should admonish the idol. You should say, this matters. You should point them to Colossians 3, 23 and 24 where it talks about working all for the glory of God and everything that you do. 
Every little bit of that matters. Not because the work in and of itself matters, but because it's preparing, God is using it to prepare you for that day and to bring Himself glory. Not only in our work, but in how we view the world around us. Think about their situation again. They definitely had a corrupt government, did they not? Their church leaders were being brought out and falsely accused. And you can just imagine how frustrating that was to view the injustice of that. That they would want to rise up and rebel and say, that's wrong, you can't do this, how dare you accuse us of that. But, but that's not how they're called to respond. They were instead called to respond to repay, not, to repay no one evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That when evil is happening to them, they should recognize that they don't have to respond in kind. But they can respond like Christ because he's truly the one sitting on the throne. I was talking with a friend yesterday, uh, a few days ago about all the conspiracies that have been believed in 2020 and how frustrating that can be. And he said, well, people should expect conspiracies to be going on, right? I said, what do you mean? He says, turn to Psalm 2. If you look at Psalm 2, what does it say? It says... The kings of the world conspire against the Lord and against his anointed. That's happening. We should expect it. But what does it say after that? He who sits in heaven laughs. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. That, that as they were experiencing, the Thessalonians were experiencing this injustice and this, this hardship from their government, they were supposed to lift their eyes to see that the one who's sitting in heaven, the one who uses throne as a, earth as a, as a footstool for his glory, was still in control no matter how unjust their government was being towards them. So they could see clearly their government was conspiring against them, but they were to have an attitude that trusted and focused more on the one who was sitting on the throne, that he was using... All of those things to prepare for his glory. If there's one drum I want to continue to beat, that as we look at our daily lives, whether that be in the secular or the sacred in the church, in every single moment of your life, no matter what you're doing, that has, it has purpose and it, it, he is using it to prepare us holy and blameless for that day. He is washing his church in the water of his word. He is getting you ready and sanctifying you, making you more like himself every single day and in every single moment. And there's not a moment that exists that escapes that purpose. So in everything that you do, live that way. But it's not just that he's preparing us for an end. He is preparing us for a good end. Live in, we should live in hope of his return as well. Not just live like he's preparing us for his return, but that that return that he has is going to be good. Like, the, like I've already mentioned, the church in Thessalonica was struggling with this idea that those who had passed were not going to see the return of Christ, that they had missed it. But Paul gives them this instruction. He says, he says they haven't missed it. When Christ returns, those dead in Christ will raise and they'll, meet, they'll be the first to meet him in the air. See, we, we can grieve, but we don't grieve like the rest of the world. We grieve like those who have hope. And the hope is that he's going to come back and he's going to make all things right. He is going to win. 
He's going to be victorious. So, in light of that, and only in light of that, can we rejoice always? Can we give thanks in all circumstances? For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. If we don't have the hope of a good and sure victory of Jesus in the end, how can we give thanks in all circumstances? Maybe you've seen this commercial going around on TV, but there's a commercial uh, for Match.com right now where 2020, the year 2020, matches on Match.com with Satan. And the two of them get along like two peas in a pod. And the, the ironic thing is that the world, though they may not believe in the devil and his active work in, in this world, they recognize, they even have latched onto the sentiment that this, has, if the world, the secular world is believing that, you can imagine that those in the church, that there are many in the church that are believing the same, the same lie. Satan has not been victorious in 2020. He doesn't win. Every event in this world is leading towards his demise, his destruction. You can think of the darkest moment in all of eternity was at the cross. And that was when it, his, his fate was sealed. So in darkness, we see Christ moving towards his final destruction of the evil one. And if you did not believe that, if you believed that the events that were happening in this year were more due to the work of Satan than they were, that he had more control over 2020 than, than Christ did, you, it would be impossible for you to rejoice at that. You could not rejoice always if you, if you were accrediting all of the work of 2020 to the devil. If you were you couldn't, you couldn't give thanks in all circumstances if you were thinking, oh man, Satan really truly won there. We have to recognize that in every part of this last year, no matter how hard it's been, we can look back and rejoice in all of it and give thanks for all of it because we recognize at the very bare minimum that God has used that to prepare us for that final day with him. At the bare minimum, we can recognize that is the truth. And I can, I can look back at all of my individual sufferings, and when I view them in that light, I can already begin to see. God has been gracious enough where I can already begin to see the ways in which he's using those to prepare me for that day. So live in hope, interpreting every moment of every day as leading towards that end. That's the only way we can rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances. I have the blessing every year of getting to share the last sermon of the year. It started out because I was the only one around and Mark wanted to give me a chance to share. And then as the years have gone on, it's not been that. It's been that They've, asking, they've been asking, who's going to want to share on New Year's? And I always raise my hand and I say, I'd love to do that because it's a special chance for me to get to share my heart with you all and reflect on how God has worked in this last year. And if I could share what I think God is putting in my heart for all of us as a church, it would be simply 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. So in conclusion, I'm going to read that for us as as 
a benediction over you all and over myself as well. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let me pray.